Are you listening to us on Apple Podcasts or Spotify or any other platform where you can leave a rate or review? Do you like what we're doing? If the answer to all of that is yes, please consider quickly giving us a five-star rate. And if you wouldn't mind leaving us a nice review, we greatly appreciate that as well. Okay, let's do this. Hello, welcome to the Ghost of Hall. My name's Simon. And I'm McKelly. Thank you for joining us for episode 181 of our chapter-by-chapter book review of A Song of Ice and Fire by George Martin. I used to catch the 181 bus to school. Okay. Uh, today we're discussing chapter 37 of A Storm of Swords. That's Jamie 5. And I uh, have embraced the Ned Flanders. I'm McKelly. I, <laughs> I thought, about, thought about adjusting it, but no, I'm just going to go with it. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, and as always, we're going to chat about the chapter and try not to spoil any future plot points for you. Hopefully, we're going to provide you some entertainment along our way. We'll summarise what happened, discuss our thoughts on it, provide some useful background, compare it to a television show, indulge in a little pedantry, and cover some relevant news and listener correspondence. Be sure to check out the show notes. They'll provide some additional information, which will be particularly handy if you're not reading along with us. How are you, sir? I am doing all right. I slept in today. As you know, you texted me an hour and a half before I got up and told me you were ready to record. (laughs) Clearly, I was not. It has been a week. Wow, has it been a week. Uh, mostly good things, but I mean, pretty much all good things. It's just been crazy week. It. Uh, I think we had our sustainer call, right? Was this is that the same week? Has we this did, been yes. all part of this yes. week? <laughs> yes. And that was awesome. Uh, and that was the last I talked to you, I believe. So, I think so. In the, in the uh, intervening time, uh, I met Ethan in Greensboro, North Carolina, to watch Pitt play Georgia Tech in the NCAA men's basketball tournament. I know that Pitt won that game. They did win that game. Oh, yes, check me out. Very fun, very uh, enjoyable time. And it, the plan was, uh, I live about an hour away. He lives about an hour and a half away. We were going to meet there, watch the game, and then go our separate ways. But I found um, the day before, uh, someone was selling a vehicle on uh, the uh, bulletin board at, you know, the virtual bulletin board at work. Huh? And I, I sent it to Ethan and he was interested. And so he set up a time to test drive it Wednesday after, you know, Wednesday night, basically after the game. So he then followed me back home. And uh, so we, he test drove it. He liked it. 1030 that night, the two of them agreed on a price. They were going to meet 11 a.m. the next morning to go to the DMV and transfer over the title and pay Ethan, pay him and all that stuff. So that left us uh, uh, just a few hours to figure out how he was going to finance this vehicle. (laughs) And he had enough for a hefty down payment, but um, we did want him to, you know, finance a portion of it through uh, a loan since, you know, he's an adult now. Uh, But... Uh, it was very challenging to try and procure that uh, in the very small amount of time that we had. So standing at the DMV, I wrote this guy a check for teens, thousands of dollars, mm-hmm. <laughs> have my checkbook, and here I am writing it. And I'm like, how do I even write this out? <laughs> you, got, you got one of those giant checks for that. Yeah, I know, right? So, yeah, I am teens thousands poorer than i was um 
when I was watching said basketball game. Uh, but, you know, then I sucked various amounts of money out of Ethan, Ethan's accounts, and now he and I will figure out the rest. But that was quite the chaos. It was a very fun time watching the basketball game, and then all oh, chaos broke out for the next mm-hmm. uh, day and a half. And But here we are. And not only that, but my littlest, my little girl, is all the way in New York City. Oh, wow. Exciting. Yeah. She's with the theater group. They're going to go see two Broadway shows and one off-Broadway show. Oh, excellent. So excellent. she just got there in the middle of the night this morning. So, uh, yeah, a lot going on. And that that's why this episode is <laughs> it's not maybe our most finely crafted episode. <laughs> a, lot of fly, a lot of things done on the fly this week, but I had a moment. I've not been picking up the slack because I've had a busy week too. I've had... Uh... It's not going to sound as important because it was mostly going for drinks with work people, but it was kind of like an obligation that I couldn't get out of, you know. So Hey, it takes up time. That, exactly. That isn't yeah. GOH time. Exactly. <laughs> that's, that's actually how I knew about the pit basketball game because I was watching it. It was on another television while I was watching a soccer match with okay. work people. Did you see Ethan and me? I did not. I don't think they were putting to the bar in... Oh, no, you were actually at the game. We were at the game. Yes. Oh, I, we I misunderstood. Yes, I see. The game is held in Greensboro. That's right. Oh. Right. Yes. How exciting. It yes, it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun. Has the tournament progressed? I assume it has. They're already knocked out, presumably. They are. Yes, they got oh, knocked, okay. out, knocked out the next day. In, okay. in embarrassing fashion, lost by 30 to Duke. <laughs> oh, okay. That's pit well, basketball for you. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Well, you went to the right one then. I, yes, thankfully. Thankfully, we picked a good one. <laughs> <laughs> or or in Pitt's case, potentially, the only one. The only one, yes. <laughs> now, you alluded to a story during our sustainer call. Um, Let me get to that, because the thing okay. is... The thing is, I'm almost certain that this story is going to end up on the cutting room floor. I have told (laughs) almost nobody this story because it is too much. It is too much. It's it's going to make you laugh. And maybe one day we'll share it with the sustainers as a as a Easter egg. But the story comes from and I'll 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 tell the benign part of the story for um, everybody. I have taken to growing vegetables. And I'm very excited about this. Well, I'm very excited is a bit of a stretch. I, I'm enjoying the challenge of growing vegetables. To my right, I'm not going to bother showing you, but I have trays of seeds that are growing. And I've got uh, I've got cucumber plants and artichoke plants growing in my uh, room, ready to plant outside when the frost ends. Okay. Is there a chia pet? No, not chia pet. <laughs> okay. And I've already planted outside. I've already planted carrots and beets, and uh, and the planting outside is what led to the problem. Because what what happened was, I have some patches of poison ivy in my yard. You and, sure do. Your arch nemesis, and, really. Your your right. yard nemesis. And poison ivy, for those who don't know it, is astonishingly allergic reacting plant. Um, which secretes an oil onto your skin. And then that oil sort of seeps around your skin a little bit. It's very hard to dislodge it. And it causes a a horrendous rash. I mean, genuinely horrendous looking rash. I've compared it to uh, cordyceps. I mean, it looks like I am. Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And what happened was I know what that plant looks like. So I avoid it like the plague, but, it's early spring and the plant had not 
budded. So it didn't look like what I was expecting. So I was I was grabbing handfuls of it and tearing it out of the ground. <laughs> it wearing shorts, so it's all over my legs too. Wearing short sleeves, so it's all the way up to my shoulders. It's, it's an, I'm an absolute mess. It's not even funny and I'm laughing because it's so, it's not the first time this has happened to you. No, no. And, and, and the previous times I genuinely didn't, didn't know what the thing looked like. It would just get me because I was just pulling weeds up and one of them was poison ivy. Now I've learned to identify it, but Uh apparently you just pulling the vines up without any leaf on them is enough to get you this and get you bad. Oh, wow. So, yes, be careful out there, kids. Um, and now um, we'll have a break for, a, yeah. <laughs> for an off-the-air story. I, I, I can share on the Discord server the picture of the blisters on my hands, which is, I mean, I, I'll, yes. give, I'll give you the visual now, but this is so, oh my gosh. so much better. I mean, It looks not... like a burn. It looks like you burned your hand. Yeah, I mean, that part of me there had a horrendous blister on it. Which I, uh, that's, that's the picture I'll share with the Discord server. Well, anyway, let's get down to business. How did we leave Jamie Lannister? Last we saw of Jamie, he and Brienne and their 15 fingers. Well, actually, I thought about that after I wrote that. And I was like, all 20 of their fingers made the journey. It's just five of them were detached. Right. Uh, yes, that that is yeah. accurate. Yes, They'd been taken to Harrenhal by the Brave Companions. Roos Bolton was not pleased with the maiming and had his maester, Kyburn, tend to Jamie's wounds. And he tried to guts it out, but it hurt a lot. Kind of like poison ivy. And you have maester in uh, quotation marks because he's not—he's not actually a maester. Fallen so. maester. Yes, McKelly, why don't we give the summary of this one? I think we could do that. Well, Jamie joins Brienne in the Harrenhal bathhouse. As if that wasn't a surprise enough for her, he gingerly plops himself down in the same tub that she's in. The pair quickly begin to squabble, ending in Jamie putting the stump of his arm in her face and suggesting. There's no wonder Renly died with her guarding him. Brienne has had enough. She climbs out and prepares to leave. Jamie is surprised by his body's rather positive reaction to seeing her naked. Putting that sensation aside, he quickly apologises for the unworthy outburst. He offers a truce, but she has no interest in such an agreement uh, with a known trustbreaker like him. Jamie begins to tell her the details of how he became the Kingslayer, how Prince Rhaegar persuaded King Aerys to summon Tywin Lannister, but Tywin wasn't ready to commit yet. He was waiting to join the winning side. That Aerys had a select few pyromancers secretly place wildfire all around King's Landing. That Aerys' hand of the king tried to talk the king out of his plan and was burned alive for it. After Rhaegar fell to Robert on the trident, the queen and Prince Viserys were sent to Dragonstone for safekeeping. However, Princess Elia and her children were kept in the Red Keep, so that the king would have leverage over Dorne, specifically Lewin Martell. Grandmaster Pycelle taught Aerys into opening the gates for Tywin, and thus began the sack of King's Landing. Aerys decided it was time to leave Robert nothing but charred bones and cooked meat, sending the pyromancer Rossart to put the plan in motion. It's then that Jaime killed Rossart to stop him from destroying the city and those within, followed by killing the king. Later, he tracked down the other pyromancers who knew about the plan and killed them too. Brienne is in disbelief. How could these details be true, yet nobody knows them? Jamie says it was part of the Kingsguard vow to keep the king's secrets. Besides, 
Ned Stark judged Jamie the moment he saw him in the throne room of the Red Keep. In his excitement, Jamie tried to exit his tub, but hit his stump and passed out from the pain. When he awoke, Brienne helped him get dressed and accompanied him to the great hall and dinner with Lord Roose Bolton. It's awkward small talk of prunes and wines. Jamie asks what Roose plans to do with them. Roose says he has options. Edmure Tully offered a thousand gold dragons for Jamie, to which Jamie suggests Cersei would pay ten times that price. There's also the offer from Rickard Carstock of his daughter's hand in marriage. However, as Roose is recently married, that option isn't very appealing. Roose admits he's leaving Harrenhal soon. Edmure Tully is marrying at the twins, and King Rob has commanded Roose's attendance. Brienne asks if there's been any news of Arya Stark. Roose confirms she was lost but has been found, and Roose plans to ensure she makes it back to the north safely. Back and forth between Jamie and Roose occurs regarding how helpful or not a Lannister-Bolton friendship might be. Jamie thinks that it's possibly a negotiation and is hoping that Brienne isn't really picking up on it. She interrupts and insists Roose free them so that they can continue to King's Landing and finish the prisoner transfer as Lady Caitlin Stark commanded. Roose says he's heard it's an escape from River Run, and if Brienne aided in it, she's a traitor. Brienne is outraged, but Roose calms her by saying he's planning on sending Jamie to King's Landing just as she wants. There's just one small five-fingered issue. Roos explains that Vargo Hote cut off Jamie's hand to dissuade Roos from doing this exact thing. Um, you mean sending him back to King's Landing? Okay. Yes. Not cut off, not cutting not off yes. his other hand. <laughs> <laughs> Seems Hote's options are running low. Only a stark victory saves him from Tywin's retaliation because the brave companions switch sides. And that's getting less and less likely. So much so that Roos thinks King Rob should bend the knee. Even if that happens, it won't spare Holt, so he's cut off Jamie's hand so that Roos won't turn Jamie over to Tywin, as Holt is Roos's man, so Roos bears responsibility for the action. Jamie swears he'll vouch for Roos, having no part in the action. Holt acted alone. With that, Roos says Jamie will go to King's Landing when he's strong enough to make the trip. He'll be accompanied by an escort of Roos's men. Brienne says that's fine and all, but the Stark girls are her charge. Roos breaks it to Brienne that Sansa isn't going anywhere. She's married to Tyrion Lannister. No, Brienne won't be going on the trip to King's Landing in general. She'll be staying here. Roos can't take both of Hote's prizes. He suggests that Brienne worry less about Starks and more about Sapphires. We'll be right back. Hello, friends. Are you ready to make some unforgettable memories? Well, if so, consider the Marriott Bonvoy program. Discover the perfect destination for your summer getaway and unlock exclusive deals on luxurious accommodations. With our affiliate partnership, you'll enjoy unbeatable savings and a seamless booking experience. Don't let summer slip away. Visit Marriott Bonvoy today and make this vacation season one for the books. Use our Ghosts of Heron Hall affiliate page to check it all out and buy Bonvoy points or give some as a gift. The link to our page is in the show notes. I, I, it's not certainly not Jamie's worst crime, but jumping in the in the tub with Brienne uninvited is rather rather a me too crime. I feel. I mean, he could have got in another tub. Yes. Yes, you could certainly understand how uh, Brienne was embarrassed about the whole situation. And um, 
uncomfortable, clearly quite uncomfortable. And uh, I will say that not that not that this changes anything, but I'll just point out that the two already share an unusual level of intimacy as she was charged with cleaning him up after he soiled himself on the ride to Harrenhal. That's true. So, Sharing a bath with him you know. is sort of like pale in comparison, really. Right. So maybe he just feels, oh, you've already seen all this, but still... He he certainly should have uh, run that by her before he just jumped into the tub naked. Presumably, while she was cleaning him up when he soiled himself, she herself was not naked. This is <laughs> a huge, yes, a huge distinction right there. <laughs> I I gotta say, as I read this chapter, I was struck by how much of this we'd spoiled. I, honestly, I was like, he said all this, and then I realized it was just you and me that had said all this, really. Right. Yes. Uh, you know. It, so we spoiled things like him killing Rosart, which he did tell us. He did tell us he killed Rosart, and he killed, obviously, he killed King Ares. His his uh, moniker would be very uh, oddly placed. Maybe the pyromancer slayer. <laughs> we certainly hinted a lot toward Ares' warm welcome. Uh, I, I did try my best not to specifically say what it was, but I think it was becoming pretty clear. We also talked about Lord Chelstead being burned alive for um, going against Ares and trying to talk him out of the plan. But in our defense, Martin left us a lot of clues along the way that we had to mention. I mean, they were they were they were there, so we just kind of expounded on them and pulled them out. Now there. Now we certainly get the full picture, and there were things that that we learned in this chapter that we didn't know about, like Jamie hunting down the other pyromancers that were involved. That you know that shows he was really trying to protect the city and all of its people. He was ending that plot. Yeah, my only question about that was, would they have triggered the plot without the command from Ares? It feels like they were told to put me around there. Were they told in the event of my death, trigger all this. I suppose that's the danger, that that was a, a standing command. When I die, everybody dies, you know? Right, yeah, very well could have been, mm. yeah. But, but then but then, what, what I would say is, how does a pyromancer light the wildfire safely? I, I don't think they do. <laughs> I think they were going up with the, <laughs> with the substance, as they call it. I, um, I think as the pyromancer who's part of this plot, I would ignore the standing order to trigger the pyre when Ares dies, because who's around to stop? To... <laughs> right. <laughs> who's going to tell him whether I did or didn't? <laughs> when Jamie came for me, I'd be like, dude, I'm not doing that anyway. Don't, I, don't you worry. I have no interest. Yeah. I'll tell you where each cache is. <laughs> we could go safely defuse it. <laughs> uh, but the, the biggest bit of news that came out of this bath time story here was that he never told anybody about this, which we knew because we'd talked often about the fact that why has he never told anybody these things? He's never pleaded his case or even presented his reasoning for it. Yeah. And, and and he gives the reason for that, which is that he was, it's because of Ned Stark, basically, that Ned Stark judged him from the get-go. And anything yeah. anything he said from that point forward would have just seemed like, you know, making excuses for himself. He was already condemned in the eyes of the right hand of the new king. Right. And, you know, it made me think of last week when 
last week was Davis, right? I believe so. Uh, when Davis told Stannis that uh, Ned Stark wanted Robert to send Jamie to the wall. Right. And, you know, if you know the full story, you're like, well, he kind of did some pretty good things. Ned would have probably been blown to bits along with everyone else in the city had Jamie not done what Jamie did. So, you know, uh, sending him to the wall might be a bit much. Uh, but it turns out, according to Jamie, he was upholding his vow of secrecy this whole time. Do do we buy that necessarily? I don't know. Uh, yeah, it's it's so difficult because it feels like you've broken a much bigger aspect of your vow by killing the king. Right. Providing an explanation yeah. for why you did it, even though it reveals some of those now dead king secrets, hardly seems like the thing that people are going to hang you for. Right. And this is the same guy who pushed Bran out a window. Yeah. Do we believe he's that? He has that much honor to uphold this vow for this long? I mean, especially when the details could very possibly clear his name or at least give explanation to why he did what he right. did. If the reason he isn't doing it is because he doesn't want to share Aerys' secrets, then what he's doing is he's he's confirming his nickname as the Kingslayer, which he could clear by telling the story. So if he were to tell the story and have his name cleared, people would say, you know, we're not, we're not going to call you the Kingslayer anymore because you did the right thing. But we're never going to forgive you for spilling those secrets. Jamie <laughs> Secret Spiller, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Jamie Secret Spiller doesn't have nearly the same ring to it as Kingslayer. <laughs> it's very he's very clearly bitter that Ned assumed that that he had killed the king out of I'm not sure what exactly Ned figured that he was trying to take the king's place because Ned found him sitting on the Iron Throne. He certainly didn't put up much of a fight when. Ned said, get out of that chair. Yeah. I mean, you know, Ned and his honor, he he would have been annoyed at Jamie for killing the king, even though he was there to kill the king. Right. <laughs> but it was it was not Jamie's job to do so. Right. It was Jamie's job to fight exactly. him <laughs> while he tries to do so. But also, I wonder if he felt like it was an attempt by the Lannisters to m- muscle in on the end game, you know that Jamie sure. was actually working for the Lannister family there. Sure. Yeah, because Tywin's Tywin and his people were sacking King's Landing as So yeah, yeah, that makes And sense. who was going to ascend the Iron Throne was up in the air at that point, right? I mean, it could could easily have been Tywin. Yeah, in fact, Pycelle talked uh Ares into letting Tywin in because Pycelle assumed that Tywin would assume the you know Assume to the uh, climb to the throne uh, once he got into the city. Jamie asks the pretty reasonable thing that why is he the one who's labeled with this when Robert broke his oaths in rebelling against the crown anyway? Robert yeah. ascended the throne, was not known as Robert Baratheon, first of his name, Oathbreaker. Uh, except for in uh, the circles of Viserys Targaryen. Very, very true, yes. <laughs> Yeah, it boils down to perception equal, equaling reality. You know, as Brienne spills it, or as Brienne tells it here, Robert's rebellion was thought of as 
done being done for honor and the love of a woman and you know right or wrong about that that is the perception and so that is the reality and you know as Brienne said specifically he rode to save the realm when the it, the actual reality is if not for Jamie King's Landing explodes hundreds of thousands are killed and Robert fails miserably at saving the realm I wonder also if if some of it is the sort of the going into the haunted house feeling of wanting to call Jamie the Kingslayer because he's the most feared swordsman, swordman in the realm. It's it's like you want to say something negative about him behind his back from 500 miles away because, <laughs> you, because you can, because it shows, shows right. how tough you are, you know. I wonder if that's part of it. And, of course, you can't say like that kind of thing about the king because that's treasonous, you know. But you can right. say it about one of the king's guard because he's not going to come for you. Well, yeah, that's true. Um, you know, to the spoils to to the victor go the spoils and robert is now the king if robert had lost the war he might have been thought of as robert oathbreaker very much so very much so yeah and if jamie if jamie was sitting the iron throne they wouldn't be calling him the kingslayer they'd be calling him the king the king right (laughs) (laughs) yeah yeah history is written by the victor right i think that's the that's the uh saying i was looking for earlier yeah robert won so he he is the king. He is not the oathbreaker. And remember last week, uh, I mentioned that we would get some information this week that might change if Stannis knew the the events. It might change his perception of it. And this, these are the obviously the details I was referring to. You mean Stannis' attitude towards Jamie? His attitude towards Jamie. Yes, yes. Jamie says that Brienne is uh, as thick as a castle wall, and. Uh, that is a term that is often used about Sir Duncan the Tall by Sir Arlen, the hedge knight that Duncan squired for. And the thing that Sir Arlen often said was, Dunk the lunk thick as a castle wall. And I'm only bringing this up because there will be other subtle associations between Sir Duncan and Brienne later on. So I thought it noteworthy to point out this reference here. It's very small, and it's probably a common refrain in Westeros to call someone thick as a castle wall. But because there will be other associations between the the two, I just thought I'd point it out. Okay. You'll refer back to this when you point out the next one, right? If I remember. Uh (laughs) (laughs) You're you're our only hope, (laughs) Obi-Wan. Is it Jamie that says that uh, that says after the dancing griffins lost the battle of the bells? Is it Jamie who says those words? That's interesting because we learned about the battle of the bells back in Aria Five, right? That's uh, it was John Connington sacked the Stony Set looking for the injured Robert Baratheon. Right, uh, at the beginning of the war. Right. Uh, Ned Stark and Hoster Tully arrived, defeated uh, Connington, and John Connington was exiled afterwards. His sigil was a, is a dancing griffin, so that's uh, who lost the Battle of the Stony Sept. John Connington was Hand of the King, right? And his right. his exile led to the sort of the cascade of Hands of the King that ended up with Rosart became the last uh, Hand of the King a- after Carlton Chelstead was burned alive for disagreeing with the wildfire plot. Jamie also mentions that Rhaegar returned from the south to convince his father, the king to reach out to Tywin Lannister, bury the hatchet, put past feelings aside, and ask Tywin for help, which he did. 
And then there was no response from uh, Casterly Rock. And But Rhaegar returning from the south, I believe almost certainly, is almost certainly him returning from the Tower of Joy where he held Lyanna. And uh, Ned and his friends found her and fought the members of the Kingsguard there. Right. So, so where was this in the timeline of the of the rebellion? This is obviously Rhaegar is alive because he's there. So it's before the Battle of the Trident, fairly early. So yeah, uh, just after just after the kidnapping of Lyanna. Yeah, well, somewhere between the two, between the kidnapping and his death, <laughs> um, I think. Yeah, I, I mean, I we don't know how long he was at the Tower of Joy with Lyanna. Question about that then. Did did Aerys reach out to Tywin? He did. According to Jamie, he did because the I, what Jamie said was no birds came back from Casterly Rock, which caused Aerys to become even more mistrustful and see right. traitors everywhere. Which is which is slightly strange actually if you think about it because Tywin brought his army to King's Landing. Right. That they would not open the doors to them because they did not trust whose side they were on. Right. One bird saying, yep, we're on our way. <laughs> <laughs> he would have waltzed straight into the city. Right, exactly. Which, which, I mean, and also it keeps your options open. It doesn't mean, I mean, you can certainly betray Ares still. That is, yeah, right. That would take a good month to march an army across there. So you've got a month to keep an eye on the news of the war, see which way the wind is blowing. And then make your decision there. All you have to do is send that send true. that bird. If you just march, you seem like an invading army. That is all true. Yeah, uh, one bird. Yeah, it would might have possibly been a lie, but so is uh, you know is that's that's not a bigger lie than coming into the city pretending to be on his side and then killing mass amount of people. It's the same lie. I mean, right. Yeah. Yes, I'm I'm guessing at the gate they were probably saying, yeah, we're coming in on friendly terms. Yeah, and, and uh, Tywin was determined to be on the winning side. That's why he did not respond. And, um, you know, I, I thought of him taking a page from the late Walter Frey, right. who was doing the same thing. It was, it was the battle on the trident that swayed Tywin to the side of Robert Baratheon and Ned Stark and Jon Arryn right. and company. To a certain extent, we 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 don't like Walder Frey because of this habit, but you can't really blame them. I mean, I mean, the last thing you want to do as as a house that stood for thousands of years is pick the wrong side in a war, which could end to the eradication of your line. You know? Yeah, yeah, I see that. Yeah, I guess from the honor side, you know, you're supposed to align yourself with your liege, which in Tywin's case would be his king. Right, but we all know what Aerys was like. And Tywin in particular knew what Aerys was like. That is true. What we're learning now is that not everybody knew necessarily what Aerys was like because possibly word was not being not getting out about just how terrible he was. But one person that would know is Tywin Lannister. Right. right. And and the thing is you don't necessarily know if he's crazy or if he's just nasty, but everyone knew he was nasty because his, you know, what he did to the Starks. I mean, that's just it's it's cruel. It's you know they they yeah. they they came as requested and he put them to death, but they hadn't actually done that much at that point. They'd had their daughter kidnapped, daughter sister kidnapped. Yes. Yeah, 
how widely that news was spread is uncertain. At that time, but, but those who yeah, knew. right. That's yeah, absolutely. But but the fact that it was because he was insane is that's the bit that probably it wasn't well known. But you're right, Tywood would know, and so. But but again, it's still the same thing. You are honor bound to protect him, but you're logic bound to pick the winning side. Yeah, that's a it's a conundrum for him, certainly, especially since he has such a, a mixed relationship, such a complicated relationship with King Aerys. Right. But but to be fair to everyone, it's a mi- it, it's it's the same calculation for everyone. For John for John Arryn, for Robert. I mean, Robert obviously is the leader of this, so. Yeah, you know, is he though? Uh, I mean, the Starks are the ones whose daughter was kidnapped. John Aaron is the one who raised the banners when uh, King Ares wanted Robert and Ned's head brought to him by John Aaron. So I feel like everybody shared an equal part in the beginning of the uh, uprising. But Robert, I guess, was the figurehead of it. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. And maybe his killing Rhaegar is the thing that cemented him as the ultimate leader. But I will say, actually, the one group that you didn't mention there who sided quickly against their king was the Tullys. They didn't really have a dog in the hunt in the same way that the the Arryns, the Baratheons and the Starks did. Right. Yeah, they married into it. Right. After the fact. Yeah. Yes. As a result of this. Yeah. Yeah. So... But but they had the same calculation to make that the uh, that the Lannisters did. We'll be right back. This episode is sponsored by Audible. To get a free audiobook or two if you're an Amazon Prime member, go to our exclusive URL, audibletrial.com slash ghostsherrenhall. You can find the link in our show notes. Yeah. And a lot of their bannermen, specifically the dairies I'm thinking of, did not align with the Tullys and and stayed with the king. So it was very complicated. Certainly a lot of people had to do some quick calculations and determine what side they wanted to back here. Uh, One thing I wanted to point out was that um, only a select few master pyromancers knew about the city explosion plot, which explains... Why, in the Tyrion chapters in uh, Clash of Kings, uh, they kept finding caches of wildfire mm. around King's Landing. Because those who knew where the caches were all dead. Have, had, are all dead. So, the you know, the younger pyromancers might probably didn't know there was caches of wildfire under the dragon pit and, you know, all these other locations. I had a thought about how those pyromancers might plan to get away with this what you do is you set the cache up in a certain point and then you label it as like a firing range and then you get some junior to throw one pot of uh, wildfire (laughs) thinking he's just testing out its effect but it lands in the big cache and meanwhile you're just safely outside the city in dawn You just have to hope he has better aim than Edmure Tully. True. With his I, I, bow and I think arrow. this is an easier target. <laughs> yes, I guess so. So the king, I mean, part of the king's delusions was that he was seeing traitors everywhere. And uh, Jamie mentions that Varys was always on hand to pot out the ones that he'd missed. So 
There's two ways to look at that. Varys is doing his job. Right. Master of Whisperer. Master of Whispers, uh, not Master Whisperer. <laughs> but then the other part of it is, is he actually feeding the uh, paranoia and actually making Aerys more mad, more crazy, less in control? Yeah. We hear we hear in this chapter that the king listened to uh, Grand Maester Pycelle and let uh, Tywin Lannister in, which we know why he did, why... Pycelle said that because he wanted Tywin to assume the throne. Uh, and Jamie says the one time that the king should have listened to Varys, he didn't. So Varys must have been saying, you don't want to do this. Bad idea. Which, you know, is kind of a sign that he was trying to do the right thing there and, and help the king. Uh, but we've talked about Varys's motivations many times, but maybe Varys... I can't imagine that Varys wanted Aerys to stay on the throne because at least if we take at face value the thing that Varys has maintained, that he serves the realm, he would want Aerys off the throne because Aerys was a monster. And he would have been one of the people who was well aware of this fact. True. But if Varys knew what Tywin planned for the city, that might lead him to say, keep that door locked. Yeah, right. Yeah, that could be. Yeah, it, uh, we also see that Jamie was the only King's Guard in King's Landing because Ares kept him close because he didn't trust him. And I, we had discussed before why they would send three King's Guard to guard Lyanna at the Tower of Joy with the Gerald Hightower, Arthur Dane, and Oswell Went. Now we see it was three times as many as guarding the king himself. So now, of course, it's also mentioned in this chapter that Gerald Hightower was in King's Landing. Ares sent him to fetch Rhaegar, and then he stayed behind when Rhaegar came north from the Tower of Joy. So and so, so that means there were two permanent Kingsguard on the Tower of Joy, and a third was added by Rhaegar. <clears throat> That's what right. I. So two, yeah, two were guarding Rhaegar at the Tower of Joy. Two were guarding the king in King's right. Landing. And when Gerald Hightower came. Rhaegar said, all three of you stay here. Right. Yes. So it's Rhaegar's fault, really. It's Ra- yeah, it's <laughs> Rhaegar who's... Which which kind of goes to Rhaegar's motivation. He was very keen that Lyanna not be taken back, you know, and so he put the most... He risked his own safety for hers. I mean, we've never gotten Rhaegar's side of the story, which would be very useful to have. Uh, but, you know, the side of the story that we have, of course, is from the winning side, is that he kidnapped her tortured, raped her and everything. So you'd think putting three members of the King's Guard on her would also be protecting himself from anybody finding out what is right. happening with they, they, I mean, yes, there's, there's nothing in putting three King's Guard to protect her that goes to your motivations. It could be that he wants to be able to go back and rape her some more. And the last thing he wants is for her to be lost to him. You know, it could right. be he's fallen yep. madly in love with her and he's willing to risk his life for her, you know. Right. It is no way to read Rhaegar's mind from what he did, but it is it is a sign that a- Ares at least wasn't that loose and free with his king's guard. It's Rhaegar who was a little bit yes. uh, cavalier. True. And True. One thing that we, we one thing that's mentioned that we've already known, I think, is that this is the point where Queen Rhaella and Princess, Prince Viserys 
pregnant Queen Rhaela, and Prince Viserys were sent to right. Dragonstone. But Elia Martell, uh, Rhaegar's wife, and her two children, Egan and Rhaenys, were kept in the Red Keep, partly to keep Dawn on the side of the Targaryens, or at least neutral. Uh, I think it was felt if they were out of King's Landing, Dawn might come in on the side of everybody else. Yeah, so according to Jamie, Ares got it in his head that Lewin Martell betrayed Rhaegar on the Trident, and that's why he wanted to make sure Dorne stayed in check. Um, Lewin Martell is Elia's uncle. He was also a member of Ares' royal Kingsguard. So, uh, you know, it had always seemed odd that Rayella and Viserys were sent away to safety, but not Elia and the new heir after Rhaegar died, because they were sent to Dragonstone after Rhaegar died. And, uh, you know... Oh, yes. Uh, yes, yes, good point. Egan was the heir to the throne at that point. Baby Egan was... Right, right. Is that Does it still hold when his father died, his father was the heir, or does it drop to Viserys? No, I think generally it's... Uh... Isn't this primogenitor? It's no, that's that's more to do with gender. It is. It it goes to Egan. That's the typical way it does. It goes okay, even though his father it died stays before. on the firstborn line rather than uh, dropping to the elder uncle. Yeah, so so that's that's my point exactly. It seems odd that they would keep the new heir there at King's Landing in a dangerous situation and send the others away and you know this is we find out why it's because they were trying he was trying to keep um Dorne in check but he probably could have done that with just Elia and Rainey's right or, he... or or done it but by sending them to Dragonstone too you send them with enough people that if the Martells switch sides you kill those people don't have to be right. in King's Landing for that to happen but I guess I guess it's more immediate if if they're there on site you could you can do the thing that uh, that happened to Beth Cassell you can hold them on the castle walls and threaten them yeah i guess so yeah vis- the visual is more powerful i guess uh, Jamie says that Ares didn't think he would die from wildfire rather like Arian Brightflame uh, that he would turn into a dragon um Arian Brightflame of course is thought to be a monster by just about everyone apart from Ares apparently so um <laughs> <laughs> it's hero baby <laughs> uh, including Arian's own brother Egg thought he was a monster right yeah yeah right um, he's, yeah. he's the one he's the famous Targaryen who died by drinking a glass of wildfire which presumably was a very unfortunate way to go yes he, he thought he would it would turn him into a dragon it just made him dead. <laughs> another thing that Arian Brightflame is famous for is having a son named Magor, the only other Magor to my knowledge in the Targaryen line. I don't know why it died out. It's a lovely name. Yes. And, you know, I, honestly, if you think about it, Arian might be just as misunderstood. Maybe he did not know that there was wildfire in that cup. It, it just, it, he, Arian's experience has to make. Well, if Ares wasn't mad, it would make Ares wonder about the wisdom of lighting the whole city on fire with wildfire in the belief that you will walk out of it. Yeah, and you could also extrapolate that to uh, include his uh, brother Aegon, Egg, who also died uh, at Summerhall in a wildfire fire. All of this makes you wonder about what 
tap into Daenerys because she seems to be the one who actually is, live, you know, fulfilling this uh, Targaryen dream. Yes, I had yeah. that same thought. Yes, maybe. The, well, I hate to say maybe it's about worthiness because you know we all love Egg. So I'd like I would like to think of him as being quite worthy, but uh, you know there, there's something special clearly about Daenerys that she's. Although we're talking wildfire versus regular fire, <laughs> maybe is that true of is that true of Egg? I thought he died in a regular fire. Uh, that's a good question. I think it's a regular fire. I believe. Yeah, they they were trying to hatch eggs, and so uh, in my mind it was wildfire, but yeah. it might have been regular yeah. fire. I'd have to look that up. I can't remember off the top. The of my other head. part of it is perhaps dragons. Like when you are a dragon owner, you are impervious, and these guys. But but was was Arian bright flame in the time of dragons? No, nope. he was he's an older brother to. Egg, oh yeah, so, so yeah, that's right. Yeah, yeah, much too late for that. So maybe that's it. Maybe maybe the if you if you are a dragon owner, you become uh, immune. Oh. Maybe, yeah, could be, could be the detail that we're missing. There is a uh, a rare vulnerable moment from Jamie after he tells the story, where he's about to pass out, and Brienne calls him the Kingslayer. He she calls for help, and she says the Kingslayer. And Jamie thinks to himself, "My name is Jamie." And I just thought, "Huh, look at that." He wants her to call him Jamie. It matters to him, and. I noticed that up until he told her this story, he always called her wench. Right. But afterward, he calls her Brienne every time he says her name. Give me your arm, Brienne. Sit down, Brienne. And uh, I wondered if maybe there's, you know, a newfound closeness between the two of them after telling that story, after telling a story he's never told to anybody else, it seems. I'm going to say, if Kingslayer irks you, and wench irks Brienne. Why don't they make a pact right at the start of this journey? Uh, I'll call you Brienne. You call me Jamie. Deal? You call me Kingslayer. I'm calling you wench again. Yeah. You don't need to become close. You could just make a pact, really. Just make a yeah. pact, yes. Although Brienne said she doesn't make pacts with the known truth trust if, breakers. If he breaks the pact, you break your side of the pact. It's not like, you know. <laughs> right. <laughs> So, uh, Roos mentions that wherever Jamie goes, he sows dissension, including here at Harrenhal, um, that each Frey had a different opinion of what to do with him. And Roos himself is torn about what to do with him. I mean, it, the, the thing about... Uh, this is kind of like the biggest part of the chapter for me, is what Roos is doing, because there's a point at which he and Jamie are talking, and Jamie is concerned that Brienne is noticing that what's going on is a negotiation here. But I don't think there's that... I don't think there's that much covert discussion going on. I, if I Bruce agree. Bolton sends Jamie to King's Landing, then he's betraying his king. His king wants right. Jamie Lannister back. He can couch it in terms of honoring Cat's uh, uh, wishes, but she's not in charge. And if you if you look at it, he's doing what neither his king nor the king's mother wants him to do. He's sending Jamie on to King's Landing, which is not what Rob wants mm-hmm. him to do. But he's also not sending Brienne along with him to do the prisoner transfer as Cat wanted him to do. 
So in both in this move by sending Jamie without Brienne, he is doing nothing that either of them want him right, to do. Right. Which again goes to the sort of like the 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 burgeoning sense of Roose Bolton as being a sort of like an agent of himself first and foremost, and not very yes. loyal to anybody. Uh, yeah, it's it's a good point, but but he does make the point to Brienne that. Even if she went, there's no prisoner exchange to be had now because Arya is lost. They don't have Arya, so she they can't exchange for Arya. And Sansa's now married to Ty- Tyrion, so there, there's no one to be sent back. So it would be a waste of her journey. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I guess there's no way of getting out of the marriage thing and saying, we'll give you Jamie if you give us back Brienne and all that marriage. The Starks win the Iron Throne and kill all the uh, Lannisters, yeah, they can get out of that marriage. <laughs> That's true. <laughs> they don't even have to make her a widow. They can they can annul that marriage from a position of power, you know. But yeah. believe me, they will. And they <laughs> <laughs> Right. <laughs> the very first thing they'll yes. do is take care of that after the heads have rolled. So, but... One thing I found odd in this chapter is that Roos talks about Rickard Karstark's offer of his daughter Alice's hand in marriage in a rather odd way. He speaks about it in present terms. Right. But last Jamie chapter, he is the one that informed Vargo Hote and Jamie and Brienne and everyone else standing there that Rickard Karstark was dead. He so so Ruth says about Rickard Karstark's offer, he promises the hand of his daughter to the man who brings him your head, comparing uh, the ten thousand gold dragons that Jamie says Cersei would pay to this offer. Uh, and Hote's plan was to ransom Jamie for a hundred thousand gold dragons, and then once he got that money, still then turn and deliver. Jamie to uh, Rickard Karstark for Alice's hand in marriage. And when he explained that plan to Roos, Roos said, yeah, that's a good plan, but that's not going to work because Rickard won't be giving anybody his daughter's hand in marriage because King Rob shortened him by a head. So I kind of multiple times in this chapter, he alludes to this in the present tense, this offer from Rickard Karstark. And I thought, why is he, why is he wording it that way? He knows he's dead. So I just found it a little bit odd. I'm not quite sure what was happening there. And not only does he know, he knows that Jamie and Brienne know because he's the one that told Jamie and Brienne. What I'll say is there is, of course, the the lingering idea that the offer still holds, that the Karstarks would honor the deal even though Rickard is dead. But the second thing is I think Roos is trying to create the... He's trying to lay out all the options to explain why he feels torn about the decision that he's about to make. You know, that there's there's a lot of right. things available to him that he could do. And he's just listing that as another one to sort of explain why his loyalties are, are, yeah. are torn. And it could still be true. If I think if Vargo Hope were to arrive, well, I mean, no, that's not true. <laughs> <laughs> the Custarks would not honor the deal. But uh, they would pay him off. They would say, here, 10,000 gold dragons, get out. Yeah, especially without Rickard to sign off on the deal. Anyway, I just thought it odd that he was referring to it 
the deal in the present tense because Ricard is dead. And so one thing that uh, is re- revealed is the reasoning behind uh, Roose Bolton's choice of his bride. He mentions to Jamie that he wed a fray recently and is a Walter Frey, and Jamie assumes it was fair Walter Frey, and Roose corrects him and says, no, it's fat Walter Frey, because Lord Walter promised me uh, the bride's weight in silver, and so I chose accordingly. And it just shows the the pragmatist nature of Roose Bolton. He's not one to be swayed by emotion. He's he's going to do the, the pragmatic uh, option in a lot of cases. Which goes to you saying he's an agent of himself, it appears. That's, yeah, absolutely. So Roos says that Arya is lost, but but has been found. But I did not understand this. I was hoping you'd bail me out here because I literally don't understand what he meant by this. Well, it's a bit of a mystery, right? I mean... Oh, okay, good, good. Either he has people in the Brotherhood Without Banners who are reporting news to him. Or maybe word has already re you know, like we we keep talking about, these aren't always necessarily chronological POV chapters. So possibly word has already reached River Run about Arya being found and ransoming her to River Run. Uh, although if that's the case, his wording of I mean to see her returned safely to the north doesn't make a great deal of sense unless he's talking about the north figuratively, meaning the Starks. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, okay, good, because I was confused by that. I was like, I missed the point where Roos knew about Arya. Uh, But you're right, the logical inference is that he's got a spy within the Brotherhood Without Banners, and that person has reported that Arya Stark is found. That makes the most sense, yes. And you know, another thing that comes up about Arya here is that uh, the marriage between Arya and Elmar Frey was severed because of the betrayal by the Starks. But I was thinking, you know, during the reconciliation talks between the two families, you'd think a rekindling of this marriage proposal might have been put back on the table as a a good way of kind of uh, binding the two houses together. The problem is the Starks don't have her, so they can't offer her. I mean, they could. They you could pencil it in. You could say, if we ever find her, right? You could <laughs> pencil it in. Exactly. She was she was penciled in before, and they didn't have her the last time the uh, proposal was made. So, uh, Roos mentions that there's a thousand leagues of mountain bog and sea between his walls and the Lannisters. So, enmity of the Lannisters doesn't mean much, and that's that's very true. And it's a point we've made about the Starks themselves. The Starks retreat back to the north. They have nothing really to fear from the Lannisters. The Lannisters, it's it, the North is just too impregnable, you know. Um, apart yes, from right. fifty angry Vikings landing on your shore who can take the whole thing. <laughs> apart from that, it's utterly impregnable. <laughs> yeah, except for that one one uh, situation, right? <laughs> yeah, it's really the Riverlands that keep being an issue for Rob because he can't protect them yeah. from the North. Which again, going back to what we were talking about before about Robert's rebellion, it was brave of the Tullys to join in, you know, on, on that one side because because they are the punch bag in the middle of all this. They really are. They are, they're the yeah. issue. 
in a Whereas, lot of situations. And, and coincidentally, the, the other family that could be in that same situation are the Tyrells. They're the they're the other middle of the continent family, easily accessible from every other point. They kept their noses very clean in Robert's Rebellion. Right. Yeah. <laughs> right. Yeah, they stuck by the mm. king and just sieged uh, Storm's right. End. Yes, and then and then apologized afterwards. You know, right? Oh, sorry about that. We were just doing what we were told. So yeah, uh, confusing why Jamie felt like he was in a secret negotiation with Roos and was hoping that Brienne wasn't picking up on it. Because to me, it seemed all out right. in the open. He's asking Roos to send him home. And- You'll get lots of money. Yeah, and not much was really no. said between the two. It was like. Um, you know, I could give you to Edmure as a wedding present. That's a bad idea. Lannisters have long memories. The Dreadfort's too far away from Casterly Rock to care for me to care about that. Lannister friendship is a better option. Not sure you're the kind of friends I want. End of conversation. I mean, where was the negotiation there exactly? I guess, I guess the one aspect to it is there is there is an overture of we would become allies, not just we're going to pay you yes. for Jamie, but we're actually going to be allied in some way. But it's it's it'd be yes. strange to have an ally who is the liege, uh, who owes loyalty to your enemy. I mean, I guess I guess the hope right. is that the Boltons betray the Starks in some way down the line. That, I think that's what ultimately we, it was. It was just a very. I'm not sure I would have necessarily called it a you know a negotiation there because it was just like hey here's we will back you if you come to our side which seems pretty obvious they would back the boltons if they came to their side you know so anyway i just thought it a little bit odd that he was thinking they were having some sort of secret negotiation there the other part at the end of the chapter is strange to me is is the treatment of brienne because because yes he said you're a traitor because you did this thing which now Roos is doing himself. Roos is doing the same thing, but is arresting her for treason. <laughs> that, yeah. that is true. Yes. Yeah, the plan to leave her with Vargo Hote, so that's kind of how the chapter wraps up. It, it seems unwise. Uh, if Brienne's telling the truth and is sent by Catelyn Stark, he might just want to fact check that before accusing her of treason and handing her over to the ruthless sellswords. She is she's guilty of treason in following Catelyn Stark's orders against Rob Stark's orders. That's not untrue. Well, yes, except for that Catelyn she was doing what she was told by the woman she served. So if anyone is the traitor, it is Cat, right, yeah. not this person carrying out the mission. No. Right. It it I, I mean the the genuine motivation seems to be He's about to take uh, Vargo Holt's prize possession from him, and he needs to give him something back in return, something that he can ransom for, uh, for some money. Yeah, he's also giving him Harrenhal. That that could be worth some ra- ransom Harrenhal. You know, <laughs> so, that's a good point. <laughs> it just why would Roose leave a woman that is sworn to the same side as him to be? possibly exploited in every way possible from a band of brigands, you know? Roos does make the interesting point that he thinks that Rob's chances of winning this war, war are becoming vanishingly, perishingly slim, he says. Um, and he thinks that he should accept the, uh, should bend the knee and try to accept a pardon, which I think, you know, we've talked before about that is a, that is a possible solution. 
it's one that Kat's thinking about. Right. Uh, though I will say it's it's not great for one of Rob's top bannermen to be thinking this way and vocalizing it to the enemy. But you know, I mean, he's just being honest, I guess. Yeah. But 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 again, that might go to the sort of like the unspoken, well, the spoken but unrevealed negotiation that's going on. If oh if. When you get back, you could probably report the fact that I said that the North should bend the knee. <laughs> right. <laughs> Keep that in mind. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I I just wonder if Joff slash Tywin would pardon Rob. I mean, I think I think Tywin would. You, you got to be a little worried about Joff. If, if I were Rob, I'd be very nervous about bending the knee and putting my head down in front of uh, Joff after what happened to Rob's father. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, Roos is heading to Edmure's wedding at the Twins. And so maybe he can team up with Kat and convince Rob to bend the knee. You know, maybe maybe this wedding will mend all the fences, repair the uh, the Frey and Stark relationship and start a, uh, you know, a kind of a repair between the Lannister-Stark relationship if that's possible yeah yeah that 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 is plausible maybe it'll be a good thing so Roos explains that vargo hope chopped off the hand because he didn't want jamie to be sent back he didn't want you know he felt that if he handed him over to Roos like that there's no way Roos could send him to king's landing because Roos would be you know in the firing line for for doing it uh but Roos points out that vargo hope is in even more trouble than rob stark because the there's n- almost no winning scenario now for the brave companions and rob stark joffrey accepted could get mercy but vargo ho never will no he's too low level and no and so uh, but 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 there's the sort of desperation that comes from that because he's taken a desperate action because of that in chopping jamie's hand right. off which is an all or nothing action because it sure is there's no going back from that it's not like he just shaved his head or something, which I think his head's shaved right now anyway. But uh, yes, uh, it's it's definitely an all or nothing action there. And, um, you know, it just doesn't make sense necessarily why Hote is afraid that that Roos will send Jamie back to River Run. I mean, his only hope is a stark victory. So of the two options... The worst thing is to for Hote is for Jamie to be sent back to King's Landing, not necessarily to Riverrun. Right, Run. because at River Run, he's still a trump card in the in the negotiations to end the war. Right, but 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 of right. course, he the Starks having Jamie, the Starks losing Jamie, the war might have to be fought to the death. The Starks having Jamie that gives them a bargaining chip to bend oh. the knee. Yes. Yes, and then Hote might be in trouble again. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> He's really in a pickle. He should just leave and go back to Essos, really. That's what I think, too. If I were yeah. him, I'd be like, <laughs> yeah. Even the threat of being given Harren Hall has brought the curse down on him. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's actually a good line here where uh, Roos Bolton says, the brave companions didn't fight on the Blackwater, but they died there. That is a good line. I, I like that. Line. Yeah. Okay, some background. What do you have for us? Well, so Jamie said that uh, King Aerys realized that Robert Baratheon was the greatest threat that House Targaryen had faced since Daemon Blackfire. Well, 
that sounds like a story worth telling, right? So who was this great threat to the Targaryens? Well, Daemon Blackfire, born Daemon Waters, was the bastard son of King Aegon IV, a.k.a. Aegon the Unworthy. His mother was Princess Dana Targaryen, cousin to King Aegon IV. Dana was confined to the Maiden Vault in the Red Keep with her sisters when she got pregnant. So Daemon's birth is a was a bit of a mystery, and, and to add to the mystery, she refused to name who the boy's father was for 12 years. Eventually, she revealed that the father uh, was her cousin, Aegon, who by then was King Aegon IV. And just as an aside, Daemon was named after his great-grandfather, the Daemon from House of the Dragon. Right. So... Uh, King Aegon personally knighted his bastard son and gave him Blackfire, the legendary Valerian steel sword used by Aegon the Conqueror himself, rather than give it to his legitimate oldest son, Darren. That's when Daemon began calling himself Daemon Blackfire. All would have been fine, except that on his deathbed, Aegon IV legitimized all of his bastards, and there were many. Thirteen known and a few more to be rumored so uh he was busy with the uh the bastard children so at that uh, point did uh, daemon's name change again to targaryen at that point i i i it's a good question being that he was legitimized yeah carry on <laughs> carry on carry on anyway uh king aegon the fourth had also spread rumors that his oldest legitimate son darren wasn't actually his and that rumored, coupled with the king giving Daemon the sword Blackfire, along with some mistrust of now King Darren II, stemming from his association with Dorne, caused some lords to favor Daemon as king over his half-brother Darren. I'm going to skip a lot of details here, but ultimately, 12 years into the reign of his half-brother Darren II, Daemon Blackfire began his rebellion in earnest. As a bastard of House Targaryen, Daemon took the Targaryen dragon sigil and reversed the colors, a black three-headed dragon on a red field, as so he became known as the Black Dragon. Now, we won't get into the details of the struggle for the Iron Throne right now due to time, as this has been a very long episode already. However, Daemon making his claim to the throne began a 64-year run of his descendants rebelling against the crown in an attempt to claim it. So comparison with the television show, uh, this is all quite closely kept, actually. The bath time happens. That's the point where uh, JB tells the full story. And it's it's well done, actually. You sort of see the sort of like the dawning horror on Brienne's face as she hears it. And she's, you know... Why didn't you tell all this kind of thing? Uh, I vaguely remember this. Yeah. Um, it's probably because you saw Brienne's bottom. <laughs> uh, and then the dinner with Roos as well is pretty closely kept. And the decision is the same. Jamie to go to King's Landing. Brienne to be kept by... Well, to be kept for treason. Because there's no brave companions in the TV oh, show. right, right, right. And, and that's why... It's a little bit hairier for Roos because it's one of his men, Locke, who chops the hand off. So he okay. is more directly responsible than Vargo Hope doing it. Right, right, right. Yeah, still indirect, but it was his men under his command who did it. Sure. So yes. um, 
But I yes, see the distinction. Yeah. Otherwise, very, very similar. Pedantry. I didn't really see anything apart from I was curious about what Roos knew about Arya, but you've given me a plausible reason for that. Yeah. And why does he refer to uh, Rickard Karstark in the present tense mm-hmm. with his deal? But, you know, he, those are, that's not really pedantry, I guess. Just something I didn't quite understand. Yeah, yeah. That's that's fine. That counts as pedantry. We don't understand it. I mean, we're really studying this, you know. Do you have some news and notes? We got a little bit here. Uh, we we have another royal wedding from the cast of Game of Thrones. Oh. A, a while back, we told you about Jack Gleason, who played Joffrey Baratheon, getting married. Well, according to reports, his on-screen betrothed has recently tied the knot. Uh, I'm saying betrothed because at this point, we don't know whether the Royal wedding will happen or not in our story. So, oh, Marjorie Tyrell. Yes, gotcha. Yes. Uh, so, Natalie Dormer, who played Marjorie Tyrell on Game of Thrones, married David Oakes in a small ceremony in Somerset in February. I, I'm guessing that's a place in England somewhere, southwest of England. Yeah. Okay. Kind, All right. kind of where you go on vacation in England. Oh, good place to get married, I guess. Yeah, it's coastal. I mean, it's as warm as it gets. Hence the name Somerset, I guess. Although summer is spelled differently. Yeah. Uh, Well, if Oak's name sounds familiar, it might be because he plays Earl Godwin on Netflix Vikings Valhalla. I did not. The name did not sound familiar to me because I'd never seen that show. But not not in the slightest. (laughs) Right. Uh, So the couple began dating back in 2019. And in 2017, they spent time together as part of the cast of Venus in Fur, which they performed at Theater Royale or Theater Royal. I don't know. I don't know how. It's a Royal Royal. Theater Royal. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah, interesting. Well, I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that uh, you know the Game of Thrones cast are you know, despite their monstrous behavior are able to find happiness in <laughs> right. real life. In real life, yes. <laughs> so, uh, again, thanks to uh, our Lord Paramount Sustainers who joined us for the Sustainer call. We had a great time. And uh, Royal Kingsguard. Oh, the Royal Kingsguard were there too, yes. Um, yeah, we had a lovely time. It's always great to talk to you guys, and uh, we'll do it again so soon. So much fun, yes. So much fun. It's always just such a good time. All right, let's conclude. Good news for Jamie. He's going where he wants to go, headed home. Uh, not so good for Brienne. She's being kept in the dubiously, uh, well, not definitely dangerous clutches of Roose Bolton. Yes, is not an ideal situation. And like I said earlier, seems like he's not doing what either Stark would want him to do. You know, Rob would want Jamie back and Kat wants Brienne to bring the daughters back and He's not even giving her that opportunity to go and see if that's possible. It feels like Roos never quite does what his king would want. He sends all 3,000 men to Duskendale for no apparent reason. And uh, here he is doing this. And, uh, you know, he put a lot of the... He's put a lot of people to death that maybe the king... uh, By the king's name, put a lot of people to death. That is not necessarily known whether the king would have wanted that or not. As you put it, he does seem to just do his thing, whatever he thinks is best. So it's too bad that they're going to be sundered because they were beginning to form a bond. Um, 
and now we know the true story about the king slaying. We feel a little bit more sympathy for Jamie Lannister. But let's remind uh, readers that he did push Brandon Stark out of a window. Yes, it doesn't undo all the awful things that he has done, including what he did to Brandon Stark. But yeah, you know, maybe uh, she would have greater respect for Jamie now that she knows the reasons that he killed the king. So I don't know, but it is a shame they're going to be headed separate ways, I guess. Vago Hope knows that only a Stark victory can save him. Given that, would he kill and torture Brienne? Because that might cost him his head even in the event of a Stark victory. Right. So maybe she's got a, a maybe she might be safe here, just possibly. Yes, you, you would think he'd be better off returning her safely to River Run and explaining he lost Jamie to Roos. I had Jamie. I was going to bring him to you. That's what I was going to do. Right, right. <laughs> but I'm pretty sure Roos won't want that story reaching River Run. Well, true. Yes, he certainly would not want that story reaching River Run. <laughs> but actually, that, that's that's. That's a consideration I hadn't had until now. I mean, like, he's betraying the Starks here. And Vago Ho and Brienne of Tarth know he is. True. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good point. And they need to be silenced. And, and how is Hote going to hold Hall with just the brave companions? It's such a big castle. And I just, in my mind, I don't picture there being enough to hold this. Now, I, you know... Walls go a long way yeah, to but helping that. But... You've got a man walls. You can always climb a wall. Yes. And it's a huge, huge castle. So I, I will uh, say, I wonder if that's Roos's endgame. He wants the Brave Companions to take Brienne to Essos and ransom her there. Right. Keep this idea of sapphires alive, even though we know it's not really true. Right. Yes. What happens when Hote discovers that? That's uh, yeah. That's something you got to wonder. Right. But but in the meantime, all of the people who know about Roos's betrayal are out of the picture. And Roos talks about Rob likely to lose the war and that he should bend his knee. Uh, so if he knows this, will he stay true to his king to the end? Or could he jump ship or just try and wash his hands of it and return home to uh, the Dreadfort if he can figure out how to get there? Yeah. And... He- it seems that he's going to go see Rob and Cat, and maybe uh, share his. Share, he and Cat both have the same idea that if Rob could bend the knee at this point, we could have peace and everyone could go home to bring in the harvest because winter is coming. By the way, it is. That's right. And so maybe there's a there's a chance for Roos to end the war. I will say again, bringing Jamie Lannister with you would help. Right. Because that's the bargaining chip that brings this war to a peaceful end. Sure. Yeah. 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 He's getting rid of that. Who we got next week? Next week, we're off to visit Jamie's little brother, Tyrion, in King's Landing. I love Tyrion chapters. That's awesome. Me too. And we get get a new member of the small council, and it's not who the Lannisters thought they were going to get. Mm, Seems strange. All right. Yes, you want to turn in next week to find out who it is. All right, there's three things you could do to help us. Uh, you could leave us a review. That helps spread the word. You could buy merchandise at ghostsofharrenhall.threadless.com or you can buy us a cup of Arbor Gold at buymeacoffee.com slash ghostsharrenhall. Consider becoming a sustainer at the Knight of the Realm or Love Paramount level. It helps keep us going and gives you some cool perks. That's right. 
And of course, you could always reach us at ghost.heronhall at gmail.com. You can go out and follow us on Twitter. We're at Ghost Hall. We're on Facebook, Instagram, Discord, and YouTube. Thanks for listening. Thanks. Bye. Bye. Thank you.